computers. This is Intelligent Performance. Welcome to Intelligent Performance, where we are fanatical about excellence and champions of ambition. And today we welcome Kerry Atherton, an author, a counsellor, and speaker on mental health. And today we're going to take a deep dive into the mental health of men in her new book called Light Bulb Moments Through the Eyes of Men. We're going to start to hear about stories of around 15 men from all around the world, including bank robbers. Colombian drug lords and even NRL soccer footy players and we're going to take a look at what are some of the warning signs these different stories can show for men and what are some of the stories and, and the things to look out for when it comes for women who've got men in their lives and wanting to help and support those people and we're going to look at how has she taken incredibly powerful and impactful traumatic things and turn that into an incredible force for good where she's now built a a wave of support around what she's doing through live events and really bringing your voice to an incredibly powerful and sensitive topic, but one which really needs to be talked about. Can't wait to dive in. Where I'd love to start your story is actually from walking into Alcoholics Anonymous and what that was like, like what kind of forced you to get there. And and that's a very powerful place but also pretty loaded in terms of when you go into like admitting that you need to kind of do that so i'm intrigued to know what was that like as you walked in that room or even got in the car to go well it was very daunting uh at the age of 16 i went to my first alcoholics anonymous meeting because my mum and dad had been sober in aa and literally from my first drink they uh, said, you're an alcoholic and wow. I couldn't stop at one. Um, my first drink was from a cask of wine that had been hidden under a caravan. My brothers vlogged it from the local cellars and hid it <laughs> under the caravan across the road. And the next day I was really depressed and I just thought I really need to try this stuff to see if it does make my um, problems go away. Yeah. And so the wine was boiling hot and I drank the whole cask. And so that's that's giving a bit of an indication uh, as to what the rest of my drinking would go on to be like. So need to say, not you know, I couldn't stop at one, so one was too many and 100 was not enough. So my parents identified that I had, you know, a problem and walking into Alcoholics Anonymous at 16 was just so daunting. There was nobody my age in those rooms, but I'd been encouraged to listen for the similarities and not differences. And there, there wasn't a lot of similarities. And only that I had a personality change and I couldn't stop at one. So I identified with that. But what I saw in those rooms were so many broken people that had literally fallen to the bottom of life and hit rock bottom. And they told me what would happen if I continued to drink. And that stayed in my mind their stories never left my mind so I went back out of course because at 16 I thought there's no way I could be an alcoholic and mm. being a rebel by nature I'm like stuff that you know I'm, I'm going to give this as a really good shot because my teenage years are, are really just getting going yeah. and three short years later um, after an accidental overdose which saw me um, hovering above my body in a nightclub on the toilet floor. Um, 
I believe I was about to die that night. Uh, I have no recollection of what happened after that other than that moment. Uh, after other traumatic events that had happened to me as a result of entering into dangerous relationships um, and coming back from a holiday where my alcoholic boyfriend had punched me in a waiting room in a caravan park in front of other families. And I had just lost all hope this particular morning when I woke up and I planned to end my life. And I just want to give a trigger warning here that we are going to touch on suicide today because that's part of my story. But I heard a loud voice say, don't do it. If you hang on a bit longer, you'll find happiness one day. And um, from the bit of upbringing that I had, I believe that that was like the voice of God from upstairs saying, you know, hang on. And I ended up bringing Alcoholics Anonymous instead because I knew that that was my last stop. And I thought if that doesn't work, well, I will carry out the other plan. But I went to a meeting that night and everything that was said in that room that night I related to and I knew that personally for me I'd hit my own rock bottom. And rock bottom looks different for everyone. Um, some people lose everything. They lose their families. They lose their jobs. They lose their reputation. They lose their dignity. Um, they kill people, they're, they're violent, you know, um, mm -hmm. but for me, I'd hit my rock bottom and I haven't had a drink or um, a pill because I was addicted to um, prescription medication as well since that day. Wow. Gary, that's quite an incredible achievement. I think the, I think what's really powerful about your story, Carrie, and the little bit I've read about your background is your ability to take something like, pretty horrific from a, like a, you know, to happen to you and turn it into, um, you know, your, your books are called hope, you know, stories of hope. And I think um, that takes a really special mindset, I think, and probably typifies in some regard what we, when we think, when we talk about intelligent performance, it's about how can you garnish, what, what can you garnish, what are the learnings and lessons you can take from life and whatever you pursue to, you know, to a to a level, which then enables you to access whole new levels of performance. So, it sounds like while super challenging, Kerry, it was it's arguably what's kind of made you who you are today. Would that be fair to say? Oh, definitely. You know, my past has definitely shaped me. Um, I say that you know our, we're not defined by our past, but it does shape us. And. I had a lot more resilience to learn along the way um, because I have actually have two stories. And the second one I think has been uh, the most impacting and led me to find my greatest purpose, uh, and that was overcoming um, grief and uh, the events that have happened over the last 15 years. Can you share a bit more? What, what, do, you, what do you mean? Well, I can only describe um, in 2015 what happened to me as a trigger trauma tsunami. And I was still reeling from my um, mother's death and my uncle. My uncle had passed away and my mum two months later was put into a palliative care ward in Sydney and she was in there for 11 months. 
And so I lived in Queensland and I just moved up here and left my family. And I think the the pivotal thing here was, you know, we all have those people that we're deeply connected to. And my mum and dad were both in Alcoholics Anonymous. And so we were all kind of codependent and they didn't have really any other family. So me and my brothers were it for them and they were it for us. And and when I left, I left my family um, in Sydney with a real sense of um, grief to start with, you know, because I felt like I destroyed my mum's life. And then a year and a half later, she was diagnosed with cancer. Anyway, she uh, she passed away um, a year after we lost my uncle, which was her half-brother, six years older than me. And then four months later, my um, second cousin was killed in a motorbike accident. Then my grandmother died and about four or five aunties or uncles. Um, everyone in my upper family was wiped out, just gone. And my dad was diagnosed with last stages of emphysema. And I knew what barrel I was looking down then because I had done this journey with my mum and the the triggers going backwards and forwards to Sydney saying goodbye for what you think is the very last time, only then for dad to kick back and then he would be okay for a few weeks and then I'd have to go down and do that all over again. And he lasted for a couple of years Uh then he passed away and my throw in a, a big car accident in the middle of that and I had to leave work because I um, was having bullying situations. Uh, and then my hubby had a breakdown um, and was diagnosed with an illness just after my dad died. And so that was 2015. And I felt like I was out in the king tide and there was just like waves thrashing around and I was just trapped out in the ocean. And every time I would try and take one, you know, one stroke of my arm to get back to shore, I just was slammed backwards. And I, it was a, just a terrifying experience and time in my life because I never thought that I would get out of the ocean. I thought I was drowning. But I swam hard and I got back to shore. And after that, I feel like I was led into my greatest purpose ever, and that was starting Stories of Hope Australia and Stories of Hope Worldwide. And I really realised um, when I went to a women's conference in the midst of that darkest time uh, and hearing other people share their stories that there was so much power in my story and that I had actually risen up from so many hard times um, and if I could share all of those things mm. um, then I could bring great hope to other people and that people I felt very alone in my journey and there was not very many people around for me because mm. I was the person that everyone looked to for their support being a counsellor myself yep. and a leader in my community um I think that's really hard. You know, it's good that we're speaking about this today because I think leadership is such a lonely journey. Mm. And what happens when the leader's struggling? Often they yeah. feel like they can't tell anyone. They'll lose yeah. their reputation. Uh, maybe the respect they fear they might lose the respect to their staff. They could lose their job. And we, leaders can be thriving by day in their business, but when they turn the light off at night, 
it can be the loneliest and hardest place. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it's, um, yeah, like it, it's having kind of navigated suicide, depression personally. It's it's a really tricky time. It's a really tricky time for people, um, and one way you're very vulnerable as well. And I think when you add, I think what's interesting about this in terms of performance is that. A lot of that family stuff you just mentioned often happens out, quote unquote, outside of work. So you've got your career, you've got the how you're paying the bills, you've got the commercial side of life, you've got your your let's say business goals, and then you've got life happening outside. Yeah, and I think it's I don't know if it's a particularly male trait, but just kind of I'm a I, I try I kind of the way I think about it, it's almost like compartmentalized. But actually, now I've got two children. It's it's far more intertwined than um, than than ever. <laughs> you know, those those lines are just there is no line anymore. It's it's very blurry, <laughs> and um, especially especially with the advent of working from home, you know, that's even more uh, just really kind of screwed the whole separation up. Um, oh, and I think that that in itself lands some challenges. Um, as, as, and you talked about leadership. When you're trying to lead, but you're leading into nothing, you know, and if you're leading from a remote environment, you often get very little information back. You know, there's people when I'm on Zoom calls and they won't even turn their camera on. You're like, okay, how are they, you know, how are they going? So I mean, yeah. it's very tricky to lead from that context. So from from your perspective, you know, you've just completed, I think it's about 15 interviews or so, carry on, kind of, you've tapped into 15 stories of different um, people in their journey. What are some of the what are some of the similarities you're seeing? Is it is it usually like the outside stuff which crops up, which kind of takes people by surprise, or is it what are they? What are you kind of what are the kind of commonalities that you're experiencing? It's just it's life, you know. Um, all these guys uh, that are in this book um, are 15 men uh, from the ages of uh, 22 to 82, and They've all experienced trauma. Now, trauma, you know, it's become a bit of a buzzword, but I think it's good that we're talking about it because everybody experiences trauma, but it's how you bounce back. And if you can bounce back quickly enough, well, then you're not going to really experience much after effects of that. But if we don't bounce back and then something else happens, and or we continue to be triggered from the past, then then that's when trauma needs to be looked at. And people don't understand that they might be suffering from trauma and that that's the time to go and get the support, not when mm. life has fallen apart. Uh, I think that with all these guys, um, they, they all went through very, very hard times, um, some in their childhood and some through their childhood uh, being like that, for instance, um, the bank robber John Kellick, I don't know if you've heard of him, but he was the guy whose Russian girlfriend hijacked the helicopter and landed it on Silver Water Prison, the, the roof of maximum security, and he's in the book. And wow. what what I love about his story, I mean, sure, he, he, he's, he, he regrets what he did, but the start of his life, you know, people look at people's journey now and, and make a judgment, but they don't see the whole picture. And he had a, ter- a tragic childhood. 
And now he's been out of jail for about eight years and he's really turned his life around. I think that it's a remarkable example, all the guys in this book, that whether they've made mistakes, whether they've done things they regret or whether life has happened to them, they've all been able to heed the light bulb moment that came to them. And instead of turn remaining a victim they've stepped out and they've become victorious and they've gone on to find a purpose and to find a greater life than they ever thought possible one man paul who's a businessman um his young son was uh living with his mum and he got a call one day when his son was five to say that his son had been kicked in the head by a cow uh, and was being airlifted to hospital. And when he arrived at the hospital, his son was in a coma and was told wow. that he probably wouldn't survive and would never walk or talk again. Wow, brutal. And there's more to that story because Paul's actually a domestic violence advocate today. Um, the story just didn't add up. And his son has had brain damage. He did survive. Uh, he's 15 now. But it was his son's smile that kept Paul going. And Paul realised that if his son can smile through everything that he's been through, that there's nothing Paul could go through that could ever be that bad. 18 months after that, Michael, Paul's stepdaughter was murdered by her ex-boyfriend just metres from their home. Jeez. And he shared at our uh, Sunshine Coast launch and He's got a big smile on his face and he he said he has he has his hard days, you know, behind closed doors, but he's been able to hold on to that purpose of seeing his son smile and, and remembering that light bulb moment. And that's the thing that pulled him out. So the message with the book really is no matter what's happened to you, no matter what you've done, there's a second chance available for all. And you don't have to wait until you know, we often get those little warning signs, those light bulb moments, but we often just dismiss them. So by listening to those light bulb moments, they're the things that could actually prevent people from really falling in a heap. Um, but also when the light bulb moment does come, listen and find find hope in, on the other side of darkness. Well, some powerful and <laughs> Horrendous stories, actually, um, carry there. So let's talk about those light bulb moments because it's easy. It's one thing to look back on it as a light bulb moment and reflect, but sometimes it can be sometimes a punch in the face at the time. And so, like, how if when people are going through it, because I, I know from personal experience, it can be you're not thinking straight. Let's just say that, right? There's usually your experience of life can be quite pressure. And you, and, and my personal one is that you were kind of like, you got a lot going on and then something unexpected happens and it kind of almost like overloads the system. Now, yeah. I, I don't know if that's typical or not, but that's certainly been my experience of it. But how does that, on you know, in these, in these different stories, what are the kind of – what are some of the things people should be looking out for in terms of how it might be showing up these light bulbs opportunities, should we say? You're right there. And the external stresses do come, but 
the things I, I guess I guess by having the stories in the book, my my hope is that and and this book's for women as well. I have so many women when I run men's mental health nights say, can I come because I, I want strategies to help the men in my life. But I, I guess by reading the stories of other people, you can pick up those those warning signs along the way. Um, with like I said, with some of these things, you know, an external event happened that was very traumatic. Uh, but I think the message is how they pulled themselves out. Like so, connection is 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 powerful. Lack mm. of connection is a precursor to suicide. Right. So getting connected, you know, one a common theme with all these guys is many of them went and actually sought help with a counsellor. Uh, many of them developed a self-care strategy toolkit and that involved community groups, um, nearly all of them, getting out there and serving in some way. So getting outside their own circumstances and seeing how they could help make life better for someone else is massive in a healing process. Um, things like one of the young guys in the book, um, Zach, he's 26 now. He was a drug addict and an alcoholic and smashed his car and nearly killed his four mates and did three years in jail. Now he had a lot of warning signs and he talks about them in the book, but with substance abuse, it's actually the highest form of mental illness for men in Australia. And there's a lot of warning signs there, changes in behavior, aggression, um, sleeping a lot, not showing up to work. Mm -hmm. um, so there's those kind of warning signs. But I think if we get, if we're in touch with our thoughts and the feelings in our body, it's something I talk about in counselling through cognitive behaviour therapy by teaching people to be in touch with how they're feeling and identifying the triggers in their life, That that's a very good way to overt your system becoming overloaded. Mm. Got it. Being more aware of, oh, I've, I feel really panicked right now. Okay, what, what am I thinking about at this moment? Am I thinking into the future or am I thinking about something from the past? Yep. So being, being more, more self-aware, but, but, but by keeping up, you know, exercise and time out for yourself and those things that, actually away from work make you feel good can help you not hit rock bottom if you if you know where, yeah. I'm, where I'm coming from there yeah, yeah. no it topic, sounds isn't it, Michael <laughs> sorry Kerry say that again it's a big topic <laughs> it's a big topic I think it's look I even as, as we're talking about it I feel like it's, it's almost like a bit ner I'm nervous to 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 do it justice in some regard I think that and that's what and perhaps even to to talk about it seems so strange because it's almost it's so not talked about often yeah. The, yeah. to talk about it in a public context to talk about it in a in a in a podcast focused on performance um it almost seems contrarian but i actually think it's in some regard what you've talked about there's actually some incredible goodness which comes out of it and and enables strength and i, I guess that's what i've taken from it is prior to going through a lot of depression it's you can't really appreciate what other people are feeling or experiencing especially if you have staff 
or team who, who mention it or raise it to you. I used to think people were just soft. And I thought that was you know, genuinely an issue with someone who was depressed until I was, no kidding, really depressed. And I was like, wow, it doesn't mean I'm soft. It just means this is a really tricky time. And yeah. and seeing how different people respond, you know, some people have no idea what to say. Yeah. And then and and then so just don't say anything. And I think that's really really tricky, isn't it? So, so Kerry, just coming back to, you know, you mentioned just before we started recording about, you know, the, the, the tick up that we've seen in the recent months in that kind of, was it the 40 to 60 age bracket? Yeah. Middle-aged men. Yeah, that's right. So tell us a bit more. What are you, what's, what's happening? What, What are you seeing? And then, yeah, what do you think of some of the, what's happening out there because to cause that? Well, um, I'm involved as as my role um, for ambassador for Fearless, the PTSD organisation, and I attend um, different mental health forums and everything. I've heard that there has been a rise of about 9% in suicide in middle-aged men in the last uh, couple of months. And I guess my perception of that is that we've got so much uncertainty uh, around the financial situation. A lot of people are in crisis. Um, and just tying that into to what we were talking about before, um, when we talk about performance, I mean, we've got humans coming to work. So the human side of business, humans are coming to work, as you said before, in the middle of going through uh, financial crisis, which impacts on relationships at home. There could be marriage breakdown, and then they're expected to perform. Well, people can't perform when they're not coping emotionally. And so it's that's like a trauma trigger tsunami, really, isn't it? It's a trifold yeah. situation then. Uh, and often I think a lot of guys, um, I know women, women work today, so I'm trying to word how I say this, but for a lot of men, they they feel like their identity is in providing for the family and being the breadwinner. And then on the other side, we've got social media bombarding a lot of men and women, but a lot of women about oh, how your life should look like. It's a lot of stress for men feeling like they have to provide that kind of life for their wife and their children. Yeah, right. Uh, and when when the money's not coming in or the mortgage has risen, um, and the stresses at work are greater, um, maybe greater demands from work too because businesses have suffered since COVID and um, now too as well. Businesses are closed. I've seen so many businesses closed up here on the Sunshine Coast. So it's a massive uh, load for guys financially and financial and relationship breakdown seem to be the main tipping points for men in all the work that I do with men. So right. yeah, I think I think that's that's what what we're facing. So by by spreading by spreading stories that men can identify with and that men can see that it's okay to talk about how you feel. And as a mental health first aid trainer, my encouragement is if you're struggling, go and get help. It's actually brave to get help. Every one of these guys in the book got help. Mm. It's the bravest thing that you can do. Yeah, I think it takes huge courage. I think it's it's really um, yeah to to admit when you're not you're not going so great is um, 
you know, and I, I personally find that very hard to do from a British background of you know like stiff upper lip and you know very um just push through and what's funny is i think there's certain things you can push through right and that actually can be quite helpful in some and then there's other things in life where if you're the more isolated you become i think that precursor around connection like i work remotely personally and you know the amount of time i spend on my own is kind of scary and i know i went out last weekend and i was just like wow like yeah where, where's the social group and i think it's very easy for men to get become who are you know committed to being successful, focused, who are interested in intelligent performance in terms of, you know, really leveling up, it can actually become detrimental to their social side, to the connection, to friends, to family. Um, they find it hard to connect with people. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, um, that's extraordinary, Kerry. So just tell me, like, perhaps to kind of wind out the conversation, what are some of the things, like, what are your takeaways from the the interviews you've done, the stories you've found, Kerry, and then and both to both to men and women. It certainly sounds like it's to to reach out for men. What are you? What have you also taken from it from a personal level in terms of that you you now apply when you're talking about or thinking about these issues? I think there's something that's just come to my mind, and I think this is very important to remember that it's not forever or never. Um, so often when we experience hard times, we can be sold the lie that that's going to be our reality forever or that something we hope for is never going to happen. And situations always change. I mean, we, we all come out of hard times at some stage and I think suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. And I think for anybody to just remember that, that, don't be sold the lie. This is going to be your reality forever. Uh, also, um, I say this in nearly every interview or podcast, but it's so important because I think people are so hard on themselves. And it is this that no matter what we do, how much we earn, what position or title that we hold or how we perform, uh, at the end of the day, when the lights go out and we're all alone, we're all the same. We're emotions in skin. And we're all human. And I think that so often in today's society, uh, comparison is the thief of joy. Uh, we compare ourselves. Uh, we're bombarded by social media, other people, what everyone else is doing. And we can lose sight of what our calling and purpose and our gifts and talents are. And when we when we can just focus on on what we we feel we're here to do and what we can do and what is in our control, we actually take back our power, and we don't become discouraged. That we, we become discouraged when we look sideways in someone else's garden, but it's never as rosy as it seems in someone else's garden. And what we yeah. all see on social media is everybody's best day. I had a powerful conversation with my brother a couple of weeks ago. He's like my best friend in the world. And I've said to him, I feel really discouraged. I feel like I haven't really achieved much. And, you know, I just was in a really, a real slump because I yep. hadn't physically well. And when we're not physically well, it affects how we think. And he reminded me of everything that I've come out of and what I've gone on to do in this movement that I've created. And as he was talking, I was I was hearing the truth 
not the negative reality that I was stuck with in my own head, which happens when we isolate. Mm. And all of a sudden I thought, that's right, I've got my own set of gifts and talents and by not looking sideways, that's the way to stay encouraged and stay focused. And we've all got the ability, no matter what we've been through or no matter who we are or what we do, we've all got the ability to change someone else's life through our story. That's a powerful, powerful concept idea. And I think um, it also speaks to the power of focus, I think, in, in, in these times as well about where you're right. Social media is incredibly distracting. I was on LinkedIn this morning and it's really easy to feel crap about yourself, about, you know, whatever's happening, you know, and you say that everyone's sharing this, sharing that, and, you know, and, and you're, oh, you know, all I did was cycle to daycare and drop my son off, you know what I mean? Like it's, it can, it can quickly feel like you're, you're not achieving in that world. Um, and I think especially when the economic world is is changing quickly and has changed in the last 12 months, if we think about that, um cash flow which was there <laughs> like a lot of people have gone backwards but even when they haven't done even when they've had good progress in their business like i know that's been the case in in many places um things feel tighter even though you've actually moved forward uh commercially yeah, yeah. and that's a really depressing experience for a lot of people I, i've certainly found that and very frustrating because you feel like you're are you ever going to get ahead and that and given that such a charged point carry for both in the financial and, and relationships being such a trigger for men i think it's going to be um yeah it's kind of like the conversation which is happening in the shadows or perhaps it's the it's not even the conversation which is happening but it's happening in our heads so yeah look i think um carry with that i actually just want to say a massive thank you for coming on to share your story um hope um light bulb moments through the eyes of men is available now and i'd encourage people who you know, have an interest in this area who, you know, want to hear the stories of some really interesting characters, Kerry. I'd love to know maybe just before we close, like how the hell did you find the <laughs> the, the notorious helicopter, you know, bank robber? I'd love to know that process and how you, how you got into contact with them. But yeah, tell us, do, to help, how did you go about finding these men in particular? Gosh, I, I actually, I don't know. I'm a connector. I think that's actually have identified that as my greatest gift, you know, and and uh, so there's a lot of me putting out, you know, to reaching out to other people. But I guess I used to, I lived with a fear of rejection my whole life and I would never step out and I'd be so afraid of the no. And since um, I dealt with some stuff, you know, I'm not afraid now to, and I'm not starstruck by anyone. So, because as I said, we're all human. So I just reach out to these people and I I think I met John on Facebook and I also reached out to um, an ex-Columbian drug cartel boss who was the star of a Netflix series, Cocaine Cowboys. (laughs) He was one of the narrators and the first people interviewed through the whole thing because he kind of introduced all these guys together and he's turned his life around. And I saw the story of hope at the end, which was him and and what he does now, showing other young prisoners that you don't have to be defined by your past. And I reached out to him on LinkedIn and he got back to me and said, yeah, I'd love to be interviewed. So all of these people have about another 40 men and women as well. I've interviewed them all through COVID. 
And so I picked 15 guys that had very different stories because I wanted to reach as wide a demographic as possible. And there's really a story in there for every every man and every woman. So that's available on my website, www.storiesofhope. Uh, sorry, yeah, www.storiesofhope.com.au. Okay, awesome. Well, look, Carrie, we're going to link that in the comments below uh, and then the kind of podcast description. And I think, um, wow, I'm uh, you've met some really interesting characters in the last two years or so in particular by the sounds of things. So, well, look, I encourage you, any, if that sounds of interest, um, take a look at the book. And Kerry, thank you so much for your time, for to taking the time out to speak to us. And also thank you for the, the commitment you have to turning something which could have been, you know, really powerful uh, an impactful past and turned into something which is such a, uh, a force for good in the world so yeah thank you so much for your time thank you michael